Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime. And you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to his word proclaimed. Oh God, we come to you in the stillness. We come to you in the quiet so that we may hear your word, so that we may allow this time to guide us, to lead us, to use us, so that we may then go out to bless the world that you have placed us in. So we ask that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Well, this week I decided to uh, start a new series based on probably one of Jesus' most famous teachings. It's a teaching that spans about three chapters in the book of Matthew. And you can do a lot more than a four-week sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, but we're going to kind of just limit it to just some of the high points of, of the sermon. So I asked a question on Facebook. If you, if you are friends with me on Facebook, uh, you probably saw this question asking, what, was, what is the most famous movie speech out there? And when you think about those moments in, in, in the, theatrical history, what are those moments that really stick out in your mind? And I got a whole bunch of different answers, you know, from from, uh, from A Few Good Men, Jack Nicholson's speech in that movie, uh, Robin Williams in Dead Poet Society, uh, Al Pacino in The Scent of a Woman, uh, another one was uh, John Belushi's in Animal House. <laughs> that, was, that was one that came up several times with some little snippets that came in. But we remember those because that they, they impacted us in, in the realm of entertainment. You know, when we went to the movies and when we saw that particular scene, it, it stuck with us. But there are other times where, where speeches really hit our lives because they change the world that's around us. So I have three famous speeches that I, I took a line out of. I'm going to see if you can remember what these speeches are. The first one. Four score and seven years ago. Who said that? Abraham Lincoln, and that was a part of the Gettysburg. Most of us probably memorized that when we were in middle school, right? And that's the only part I remember. Okay. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. No, not Winston Churchill. Roosevelt, Franklin D. Roosevelt. And when did he say it? Okay, it's connected to World War II, but it was a part of his first inaugural address is when he said those lines. Okay, the last one. Free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty we are free at last. Martin Luther King Jr. And when did he say that? 
uh, march on Washington, the, the march for uh, jobs and freedom that he, that he participated in, and, and led. See, we, we remember these speeches because they have played an impactful moment in our history. They play an important part of, of who we are as Americans. And we hold on to those speeches and we go back to them because it reminds us of maybe not so great times that was happening in the life of our history, but it reminds us of what we can be and, and who we are called to be as citizens of this country. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go on a Holy Land pilgrimage, and it was one of the best experiences that, that I've ever had, to actually go and, and go around the Sea of Galilee, to walk uh, in Jerusalem, to, uh, to just to go all the different places, uh, all the highlights that you could cram into about 10 days' worth of travel. And one of the biggest highlights for me was going to the Sea of Galilee to experience where Jesus did a majority of his teachings. And one of those teachings, the Sermon on the Mount, happened around the Sea of Galilee. And if you go on one of these Holy Land tours, they will take you to what they call the traditional site of where Jesus preached this sermon. And it's amazing because, you know, you think about the Sea of Galilee, at least, at least my simple mind, whenever I first was thinking about it, that you had this big, giant body of water, but the actual size of the Sea of Galilee is smaller than Lake Ray Hubbard. And if you stand on one point of the Sea of Galilee, you can see all the way around. So it's no wonder that when Jesus started to teach and you hear about the multitudes that came to hear his words, you can understand that because if a small crowd starts to gather in one part of, on one part of the Sea of Galilee, other towns would say, hey, there's something going on over there. We need to go check that out. So people would leave their homes and then they would flock to the central part to hear what was going on. When Jesus opened up his mouth, and he started to, to share these words, the people knew that something different was happening, that something new, something exciting, but it really wasn't what they were expecting. So I invite you to listen as we start off our series from the Beatitudes, starting in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. He sat down, and his disciples came to him. He taught them, saying, Happy are people who are hopeless, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve, because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble, because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace because they will be called God's children. 
Happy are people who live, who lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way, people harass the prophets who came before you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, you may be confused by the translation that I use because you're used to hearing the word blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But if we look at that word, the word means happy. See, sometimes if I look at the word blessed, I have a tendency to connotate that word as something that I am able to earn. You know, there's a phase that's going around Facebook. Whenever something good happens to your life, you do this little thing called hashtag blessed. You know, I, I, I ran a 5K last week, hashtag blessed. I didn't break my leg, hashtag blessed. You know, it's a way that something that you can point out of a something that you have done. But if we look at that word, happy is a better translation because it shows that it's not necessarily your work that is making it happen. Jesus is not talking about something that we earn or something that, that we reward. I mean, who wants to earn grieving? Who wants to earn being lowly? Who wants to learn earn all of these things? But it's a state that when you are in it, Jesus is there with you. See, the one strand that goes through all of these beatitudes is that it's a strand of humility. The beatitudes are about an attitude of humility, which is something different than what the Israelites were wanting at that time. They were being taken over by an uh, evil empire, and they wanted to be freed from the oppression that they were undergoing. So they were hoping that Jesus was going to set them free, to make them a free country again. But Jesus doesn't say that you have to earn these things. He said, this is a state of who you are because of my love for you. So we have humility when we know that we don't have it all together, especially this morning. We have humility when we know that we will go through hard and difficult times. We have humility when we understand that we must seek justice, we must love mercy, and we must walk humbly with our God. See, my friends, one of the ways that we can reach this blessedness in humility is that we have to come as we are. One of my favorite authors is a, a gentleman by the name of Brendan Manning who passed away recently. And he had this saying that he would share in his speeches where he say that God loves us as we are, not as we ought to be. Because we are never going to be as we ought to be. Once we realize that we are our fallen people, 
and that we sin. You know, we can always try to do better, but that's not a condition on God's love in our lives. God loves us even when we fall. God loves us even when we may consider ourselves unlovable. Jesus tells us in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I am gentle and humble. And you will find rest for yourself. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. See, Jesus knows that we will never, ever have it all put together. That we will always need something. Our problem is that we try to find that something ourselves instead of relying on the one who gives us life and life abundantly. Jesus also says in Matthew 16, verse 24, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves to take up your cross and follow me. See, it's all about striving in a deeper and stronger relationship with Jesus Christ, not so that we can say that we've done so well, but just so that we can know the one who loves us, and the one who saves us. We are blessed when we are humble enough to not demand our own way. That's easy to do in this world now, isn't it? It's so easy to say, well, I deserve this because of all the things that I've done. You know, I've, I've earned so much in my career that I should be rewarded the next position. Or my family has gone through enough that we should be able to, to go on a trip whenever we want to go. See, all of these things show that we feel like we deserve what we get or what we don't get. Jesus talks about this in one of his parables, parables of the, the vineyard. There was a guy who had a vineyard. And he wanted to make sure all the harvest was taken care of. So he went up early one morning to go out and get some workers. And he promised them a fair day's wage to go out and harvest his fields. And as he left the fields, he realized that he needed more workers. So halfway through the morning, he went out and he found more workers to go work out in the fields. And then about noon, he realized that there was still a lot of work to do. So he gathered more workers. And then as the sun was starting to set, he said he needed more, so he finally went out and got one more group to finish the entire harvest. When the day was over and the workers came back, he started with those who started last and paid them all a fair day's wage. Then the next group came, and he paid them a fair Day's wage. Well, the people at the very beginning, they said, well, if he's doing that to them, and we were here all day, just think about what we're going to get. We're going to be rich. But as they came to get paid, the vineyard, the vineyard, vineyard keeper gave them a fair day's wage, which is what he promised him. Well, they, they were upset. 
I mean, how come we got the same as the people who were only here for a couple of hours? And the vineyard owner says, do you question my generosity? Why should I have to pay you more when I gave you what I said I would pay? I wanted to be generous to others. See, my friends, sometimes we think that because we're here every Sunday, or we may teach a Bible class, or we may join the choir, or we may do other good works, that we should get just a little bit more than somebody who doesn't do what we have done. You see, that's when we run out of humility. That's when we start to rely on ourselves and relying on what God has for us. And finally, we have humility through the table. This table of of grace. This table that Jesus instituted with his disciples shortly before he was crucified. Jesus gives us the example of true humility. As he came down from heaven. As he took on flesh. As he became man. Not so that he could rule over the world, but so that he could serve. So he can serve us and give us an example of how we should serve others. One of the things that I I laugh about sometimes during communion is the way that some people come up to the table. Now, this is the only time, this is the second time that I've served communion here, so I haven't taken any notes or anything. But there are some people who come to the table with their hands like this. They have this claw. It's like, give it to me. I, I want that. You see, that's not what communion is about. Communion is about opening your hands to allow the bread to be placed, to be given to you, because it's a gift. It is a free gift that has been given to us by our God to be taken in a way that shows humility because Christ showed humility in coming to live among us. My hope and my prayer is as we move through this communion, as we go through the liturgy, as we hear the words that we hear every month, that we open our hearts and our minds to think about the humility of Christ, and how we should mirror that humility when we are in relationship with others. Let us pray. Oh God, you have given us this gift, this gift of bread and wine. Help us to remember that you so freely gave to us. Let us in turn give to others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.